title study of the Sermon on the Mount to Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing through, uh, through it. And you're probably saying, we, you are taking your time. Uh, you're the one setting the agenda. Um, but I, I trust that um, as we take each of these teachings, each of these subject matters, uh, the Lord would continue to be pressing his word into our heart. And as uh, Pastor Gary reminded us as we we're taking the Lord's Supper, that the Lord is expounding to him in Christ, and as we are following him. Turn there, I invite you to follow along with like. And so if you've opened up your Bibles, I hope you've had time to turn there, I invite you to follow along with me as I begin reading in verse 27 through verse 30. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members, then that your whole body go into hell. Well, those are striking words from our Lord, and I hope to expound them for us. And I think they're fitting for us in our day and age, uh, both as we assess the culture around us, but even as we assess uh, the proclivities to sin that we as believers face. Over the last year or so, uh, certainly has been building, but our culture is more and more faced with a, a moral and ethical crisis. On the one hand, if you can consider it, it is sought by all means possible to instill the idea that whatever makes you happy is your ultimate right. There are no boundaries or limitations. Seek pleasure and do not let anyone Stand in your way. You might say that is the greatest sin, to stand in the pleasure, stand in the way of the pleasure of anybody else. However, on the other hand, if you will, although they're holding this message, our culture is now reaping the destructive consequences of this value system and now demands some level of ethical integrity. What am I talking about here? I think there's many examples, but one that's been on many of our minds and we're seeing is the Me Too movement, for instance. And, and there's much good that comes from that. We, we are against abuse in all its forms. But the irony is, is it's coming from the very people who instilled the idea, or at least it began, pursue pleasure, objectify women. We'll, we'll make money, billions of dollars off of, of these things, and then we're surprised that our culture has an abuse problem. There's an ironic element to this. Hollywood was the primary medium, if you will, for pushing this pleasure equals happiness value system in our society. And as you can see uh, in this latest movement, and, 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 and praise God where, where error and evil has been exposed, we're thankful for that. But it has exposed the hypocrisy of our culture as well. 
And it shows that our society faces a moral crisis and suffers from what we may call a cognitive dissonance. You might say, well, what's that? That's when two conflicting ideas remain. You're holding to two ideas, but they're antithetical to one another. What are these two ideas? Well, the idea that you can somehow uphold personal autonomy and the pursuit of pleasure in one hand while also seeking to value the worth and dignity of every human being. You cannot uphold selfishness and selflessness. You can't uphold both of those. But our culture is trying to do so. We can see this in other areas in our society. Just take the issue of abortion. What does society uphold? Selfishness. My choice. But on the other hand, my choice leads to the destruction of another human being. The sexual revolution. It's my life, my identity. Yet others become a commodity to be used. Moral relativism. My truth. Yet I expect everyone to conform to me. You can't live like that. And our society is on two pillars that are at odds with one another. And so for this reason, we're we're seeing the fabric of our society crumble. The the foundation is destroying itself. And it's one of the reasons that we've seen I think many of these sex abuse scandals on an all-time high, it's everywhere, isn't it? It's everywhere. And it's not just high-profile cases. We know people who are now in jail. Just this week, I I learned of of an acquaintance in ministry now in jail. It's touching everywhere. It's infecting And the curtain now is being pulled back on the ugly truth of what the gospel of personal satisfaction brings. Now, it's not like these things haven't been occurring. But rather, the casualties have been piling up so high that there are no more places to hide the bodies. And so as we're opening up every closet, they're just spilling out. We're seeing more and more. We've been told that for everyone... In order to be happy, you have to get what you want. And now we're reaping what we've sowed. The sad reality is that the culture is going to double down on itself. It's going to ignore this fact. The fabric of of its foundations are are crumbling, but yet this is exactly what Paul tells us in Romans 1, that, that we will suppress the truth and unrighteousness doesn't matter the fact that it's literally springing up to us saying that you, 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 your, your way of living is unstable. It only brings destruction. doesn't matter. We'll continue to pursue it. And at the end of the day, the words that are spoken out in the world about the dignity and worth of humans is really a sham. It looks good. We'll we'll give to many charities and and raise much money and and we can talk about issues. But yet, oftentimes, it's just smoke and mirrors to pursue its ultimate value, that is, the love of self. 
And this, my brothers and sisters, is the value system of the prince of the power of the air, the father of lies, the devil. And following this system of living will only bring ruin and destruction. But this morning, our our Lord calls us to follow him. Because he is, get this, he's the author of life. And it's only through him that he says true blessedness, true happiness, true lasting joy is found. And as we look at our passage, the world would have us to believe that that the God of the Bible is against our joy, against our pleasure, is against, in this case, sex. And at first glance, we read this passage, and you might say, man, maybe they've got a point. Seems like Jesus is anti-pleasure. However, the hope that I want to bring to us this morning is that Jesus isn't a killjoy concerning these things. He's against the things that kill our joy. And therefore, as the world around us is crumbling from the inside out, as it experiences the brokenness of the curse of sin, as it lives in darkness, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ shines bright. It's to be a city on a hill. It's to be the light of the world. And so, yeah, it's easy for me to go, and and I can get a lot of amens about the world and the hypocrisy of the world. But brothers and sisters, judgment will begin at the household of God. How much more will the Lord not allow us to live in hypocrisy? To say we uphold one value system, but we deny it by our life. He will not tolerate it. See, the church is to be the place where the world sees how people are to be treated. The church is to be the place where the world sees how how people are to be viewed with dignity and, and worth. The church, this church, is to be a foretaste of the security, the beauty, the joy, and love which characterizes Christ's kingdom. So that when the world around us sees us, we are like that city that is up on the valley that is led up. And the world says, we need to get there because we are in the valley of death. We want the world to be drawn to us so that they too may find refuge in Jesus. Because the truth is, is that we too are broken, right? The truth is, we too have been affected by the value system of this world. We too once followed the prince of the power of the air, but we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred in the kingdom of his beloved son. And as those who have been delivered, those who have become children of God, those who have had our eyes open, our ears uh, uh, unplugged, our hearts softened, we now see and we go back into the darkness and we pull people out and we say there is a better way, a better love a better righteousness. And this is what Jesus is getting after today as we consider this topic of lust, adultery, sex. Jesus is summoning us and his followers to cultivate 
the virtue of purity in heart. We've already gone through the the Beatitudes in verses 3 through 12, but Jesus is fleshing them out now. And, And the highlighted one in this case is purity in heart. And so in order to cultivate this virtue, I want us to consider three things about marriage, really. Number one, the sanctity of marriage. Number two, the sacrilege of lust. And three, the satisfaction of Christ. Sanctity of marriage, the sacrilege of lust, and the satisfaction of Christ. Let's consider the sanctity of of marriage. We, We see Jesus saying, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Well, Jesus is now moving from our passage last Sunday where he addressed the sin of anger, and now he turns to the sin of adultery. And in doing so, we see he's not contradicting God's law. He's upholding it. He's going to expound upon the true intent of God's law. He's showing the true righteousness by which God calls his people to. And that righteousness is a whole person behavior which aligns with God's character, will, and kingdom. I keep saying that every week. That's what he's talking about, a full righteousness, not a hypocritical righteousness, a righteousness that, is, that it transforms us from the inside out. And with the arrival of Jesus as a new and greater Moses proclaiming the true intent of God's law, the, the fulfillment of all these things, he's writing the law on his people's hearts. He's writing his truth upon our hearts. And this truth will transform our lives, including how we view sex and marriage. Again, Jesus is not abolishing the seventh commandment, but he's upholding its true intent. And its intent was to protect the marriage union. That commandment was not to kill joy. It was to protect the joy that is to be expressed and enjoyed within the marriage union. God's intent for sex is that it would be enjoyed and experienced within the covenant of marriage. And our society wants to divorce that truth. In fact, sex is better than marriage. You don't even need marriage. You can have all the greatness, the world would say, and you don't have to have the commitment. And yet what we're going to learn is that that reversal, that lie from the evil one actually destroys all joy you'll ever have. It sucks the life out of you. This isn't how God intended us to relate to one another. See, when sex is separated from the marriage covenant, it becomes an avenue to pursue self-pleasure and self-love. That's what it is. It's an avenue to pursue the love of self. However, God's design for sex is that it would be a symbol or an expression of a greater reality between a husband and his wife. See, the intimacy between a husband and his wife is to be an outflow of the marriage union. It's to be an expression, a symbol a moment of of, of enjoyment that it actually is just a a visual representation of of a blessed union that is occurring all the time. 
We, we get symbol. We just took the Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper is a picture of a greater reality. Well, this is how we should view sex. It is to be a picture, a moment, a symbol of a greater reality that is occurring between a husband and his wife. Sex is that overflow of the marriage union whereby two sinners have covenanted together. That means they have promised, they have made a commitment to a lifelong sacrificial love toward one another. It is an outward expression of a greater commitment which says this, I will adjust my life to you. I will give myself to you. I will sacrifice to you. The world's value system says, no, no, you give your life to me. You sacrifice for me. You give me what I want. And if you cannot satisfy, well, then you're disposable, right? That's why marriage doesn't fit into the equation. That's too much commitment. And so what I want you to see is that out of the covenant relationship, there is an intimacy that it's developed which stretches far beyond the bedroom. And those of you who have been married and are flourishing your marriage are saying, yeah, I, I understand everything you're saying. In other words, this covenant of marriage brings security, doesn't it? It brings love and joy where I do not have to worry about measuring up to earn another's affection. That's what the genuine marriage brings. And so by definition, marriage is not a consumer relationship. It's not about what I can get from you, it's about what I can give to you. And that way of relating, I would offer to you, actually brings great freedom. There is a sweetness like Adam and Eve experienced in the garden whereby they are naked and not ashamed. No one's trying to measure up. No one's skirting around. There's a genuine intimacy. And so in this way, sex is to be an expression of a deeper union defined by giving ourselves to one another. So God's command of forbidding adultery is not in opposition to sexual desire and intimacy, but in support of sexual desire and intimacy as he designed it. To go against God's design actually brings insecurity. It brings complexity, and it brings brokenness. Maybe you're familiar with some of the research uh, that's come out about cohabitating. Um, Millennials, if you will, the, the, the level of cohabitation is off the charts, right? And the uh, kind of word on the street, the wisdom on the street is, you know, you got to test drive the car before you buy it. You never want to make sure you get the wrong car. You want to see how that thing runs. So why don't you give yourself a trial run? And, and in theory, you can figure out if this is, if you're compatible, if this is going to work, and you can have a long and lasting marriage, but the studies have shown there is a correlation with cohabitation, and they're not good. Number one, economic instability is correlated with cohabitation. The rate of divorce goes up. 
And three, the rate of relational dissatisfaction increases. Now, without getting into the details of how this study works, what is clear is that it's expressing that consumerism is the driving factor behind cohabitation. It's all about, the whole premise of the relationship is, it's a great long interview. Sounds like slavery. It's fundamentally consumeristic. It's based on whether I'm happy and satisfied. And so this is what will happen. And if you're in a marriage that's based on this, what can you do for me? This is why you're not experiencing joy and freedom. Because one partner is always wondering this question. Maybe there's someone better out there. That's what they're always thinking because it's always been about the satisfaction. It's always been about them, so they're always kind of wondering, did I make a mistake? Was there somebody else out there I was supposed to meet? Oh, I wonder if that person at work or that person I found online or that imaginary person I have thought up in my head is actually the one that I need to be with. And as a result, the other person is always living in fear they'll never measure up. That's what happens. And that's not God's design. And that's not joy. That's slavery. The one who's always wondering, is there something better out there, is enslaved to their desires, their selfish desires, and the other one is enslaved to fear. And there's no union The one is just looking for the next best to offer. The other one is just thinking they're in a lifelong interview. Will I ever get the job? And society has built that into us, and it is in our minds right now. It's where many of our marriages struggle because we have a consumeristic basis for our marriages. And Jesus is saying there is a better way there's the way of Christ where I give my life for you. We just sang it, oh, the wonderful cross. Bid that I may die and truly live. Well, guess what? Our marriages are actually great incubators to figure out if we know the gospel. Because two sinners have to come together and deny themselves every single day. But I bet when you find the most joy-filled, biblical marriages in this church you will find is when a husband gave himself to his wife and a wife gave, him, gave herself to her husband out of sacrificial love, not insisting on their own rights, died to themselves. And this is what Jesus is getting after. He doesn't want his people to be in slavery, in brokenness, to live in misery. And that's what adultery and all uh, sexual aberrations bring. Yes, it promises temporary pleasure, and there are fleeting moments of pleasure with sin. No one's arguing that sex isn't fun. But when it is brought outside of God's context and his design... Even the good things of this world are destroyed.
And so a consumeristic type of relationship is, causes, one's, uh, causes people to be enslaved to their emotions and their desires, dictating the course of their life and decisions. And such slavery brings heartache, brokenness, and ruin. But Jesus, for his kingdom, the righteousness that he calls his people to, brings freedom, security, and wholeness. And if that's the case, if that's the ideal, if that's God's design, therefore we must flee and fight against what I'm calling the sacrilege of lust. Lust, adultery, sexual morality in all its forms will destroy you. It will, it will zap you. It will suck the joy out of your life, both now and the age to come. Jesus upholds. Jesus upholds the covenant of marriage by not only reaffirming the seventh commandment, but by expounding upon its true intent. He says, just because you haven't committed physical adultery, and you can broaden this out to all forms of sexual morality, doesn't mean that you're innocent of the seventh commandment. Just like murder last week. Just because you haven't maybe physically murdered someone doesn't mean you're innocent of that command. Adultery, he says, begins in the heart. It begins with lust. And so if we're broadly defining, yes, adultery technically is having an affair with another person's spouse. But it can be brought into define sex outside of marriage in general. What Jesus is saying here is then lust is the sinful desire for adultery. It's noteworthy that the word that Jesus uses for lust, in the ESV it says, with lustful intent. That, that, that's actually one word. And it's the same word used to describe coveting. And the Tenth Commandment. Which if you're familiar with the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's what? Wife. And he goes on to other things. Tenth Commandment actually gets to the heart of all the commandments. Coveting is at its root. And that word is also translated elsewhere for the word that we know as greed. Typically we think of greedy people as those who love money. Well, having money is not necessarily a sin, is it? It's not. But the love of money is. Well, in the same way, sex is not sin. But the love of sex is. The idolatry of sex is. And therefore, what Jesus is getting at is that lust is being greedy for sex, and it's all about you. It's what can I get? It's selfish love which isn't very loving at all. How does this manifest itself? I think there are various ways by which this manifests itself and that we need to be aware of. And the first and foremost, I think that it won't be a surprise to, to anyone here, is, is the issue of pornography. By definition, pornography is self-gratification. 
It's all about self. That's all it is. There's no other person. It's you and a screen. It's all about you and your desires and demonstrates what you're enslaved to. And what I often hear is justification for partaking in I, uh, pornography is, as I just need an outlet for relief, it's not going to hurt anybody. It was just me. And that's a lie. Yeah, it was just you, but it is going to hurt people. Pornography is destroying marriages. It's destroying our young boys. And it is destroying our young girls. It's pervasive. The studies are sickening about the age in which not only boys, but now girls are looking at this. And it can come all the way through directly to you on your little devices. And it's affecting others. And, and how is it affecting? Several ways. These are, these are studies, sociological studies, on the effects of pornography in our culture and on individuals. Those who look at pornography develop unrealistic expectations for their spouse, both present or future. You do realize this, single people, that the more you continue to indulge in that, the more you're destroying your marriage. There have been times, I know, of, of couples who have come back from their honeymoon and they weren't able to consummate because the husband was more gratified by his computer screen than he could get by his own wife. And some of your marriages are on the rocks because you can't get excited about your wife because you have lived in la-la land for years. Oh, it's not gonna harm anybody. Yet you've been living in it. And I don't say this in, in anger. This is single-handedly the greatest problem in this church. I assume you're guilty because it's so bad. And I'm not lying. Nine times out of 10, if I were to ask any male in this church, what is your biggest problem? They'll say this. And that's no exaggeration. And I know. Say you're struggling. Well, some of you need to struggle some more. What else does it do? It, it creates a diminished tolerance for a committed relationship. It's again that selfish consumerism. You're just feeding it. Here's how it affects uh, you ladies. And this is, I know, simplistic. There's multiple ways. But by and large, it forces women to accommodate their behavior and presentation to the style of pornography. This is what I must do to attract. This is what's becoming. It feeds an unnatural affection for sex and drives one to get it at all costs. It's not a coincidence when they find the serial rapists, incest, all the horrific abuse cases. What do they find when they look at the guy's computer? Been living in it. 
Oh, but that's not going to be me. Oh, is it? It's not going to be you. You're already delving in it. As the writer of Proverbs says, can one hold fire close to his chest and not get burned? You, you think you can literally hold a fire and you're going to contain it. It doesn't work that way. Pornography breeds further sexual aberration because sin is never satisfied, brothers and sisters. It's never satisfied. Oh, yeah, it's just, just a little sin. It won't hurt anybody. Well, now you're tired of that. Well, why don't you just have a little bit more and a little bit more and you'll be overwhelmed by where it's taking you. And some of you are. Some of you are sitting here right now and you're thinking, yes, it is taking me where I never thought it would. And I am so deep, I won't dare tell anybody. And I don't want you to believe that lie. You need to tell somebody. Because the words that Jesus has for us are severe. There's another way lust manifests itself. We are way over time. Okay. Sex equals happiness. Lust is to dwell on the lie that you need sex in order to be happy. And this affects both married people and single. It's the lie that our culture instills in us that you aren't somebody unless you've got a sexual outlet. Our world, your identity is wrapped up in that. And then lastly, here's another way it manifests itself, through the pursuit of the perfect marriage. What do I mean by that? It's the lie that, that another person will bring you the satisfaction and happiness that you long for the grass is greener on the other side type of view. Oh, if I hadn't married this person and married that one, it would all be okay. I can live with that person's faults, but you're living in, in la-la land again. You're living in superficial world. You, you, the reason you know the faults of your spouse is because you're one with them. You don't get married to have the perfect marriage. You get married to die to yourself. And yet, strangely, that, that dying to yourself is the way to true life and enjoyment even in that marriage. And so this is why Jesus then calls us to radical abandonment. Obviously, he's speaking proverbially. He's not talking about cutting out your physical eye or cutting off your right hand. The guy with one eye can lust just as much as the guy with two. The point is, is the right hand represents, the right eye represents that which is most valuable to you. In many cultures, the left hand is the hand of shame. Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. There you see that kind of language. It's because it's the valuable, the more important. And what Jesus is saying is that you must kill lust in the mind and heart. You need to starve it, even if it costs you what's most valuable. What does that look like? Well, it really depends on where you are and where you struggle. But it may mean you don't watch TV. It might mean you get rid of that thing. It might mean that you don't have the internet. You don't have a smartphone. This is something I counsel all 
people. Don't live alone. It's not good to be alone. Idleness, sitting around by yourself all night is not good. Hanging out in certain places or befriending certain people. And this is where community comes involved. Accountability, help me. Where are the avenues? All right, let's cut these things off so we can get you at some stabilized level so that you can find the joy that's found in Christ. As Toby Jenkins, you know Toby, he's been First Baptist Henryville and then was recently the one who got us involved in the jail. This is what he says, and I'm taking this. It's better to limp into the kingdom than to strut yourself into hell. Some of us want to be strutting. And Jesus says it'd be better to limp. So I do want to live, leave on a, on a final note of positivity. And we'll close. We won't have a closing song. The satisfaction in Christ. If you come away today with just, okay, I gotta, I gotta stop looking at porn, then you miss the message. Yes, that's true. But if you just move from one thing, you somehow master that, but you don't actually have the solution, you don't have Christ, then you have nothing. And what Jesus says about hell can be understood basically in the opposite of the Beatitudes. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Well, you can think of it this way. Hell is the opposite of these. Cursed because you'll never enter the kingdom. Cursed because you'll never be comforted. Cursed because you'll never be satisfied. Cursed because you'll never receive mercy. Cursed because you'll never see God. Curses because you'll never be a child of God. But that's not the message. Come follow me, and none of those things will be true. That's the path of the world, the path to destruction. And where I want to appeal to us, whatever your marital status is, single, married, widowed, your identity is found in Christ, not your marital status. Marriage is a pointer to a greater marriage in union with the Savior. And Christ says, come to me, and you will be satisfied. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for me, and you will be satisfied. Because the way to live is die, Jesus says. Die to yourself and come follow me, and I will give you eternal life. And this, brothers and sisters, is how we fight sin. When the lies of the evil one come, when the desires of lust come in our heart and in our mind, we counter those lies with the promises of Christ. No, 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 no. Blessed are the pure in heart, for it is they who will see God. And we trust those promises, and that is exercising that muscle of faith. I believe, Jesus, I believe you. And you want the best for me. And you love me and you died for me and you rose again from the dead and I'm going to follow you. Please guard my heart from these evil things. With that, let's pray and then we'll be dismissed.